What's up ninjas and ninjets? Welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is an awesome digital marketing agency that helps small and medium-sized businesses get more leads and sales through their website. And this show is here to do exactly that for you. Now this is a very special episode because we've invited on two very special ninjas, Dale Davies and Ali Newton, both from Exposure Ninja. And we're talking today about 10 biggest marketing wastes of time because both Dale and Ali work inside Exposure Ninja with clients and with potential clients. So we get to see a lot of different businesses in different spaces doing lots of different stuff. And there are a few things that we see coming up over and over and over again where people are putting their time and energy in the wrong place into stuff that's not making any difference at all. So we wanted to put together an episode which would help people identify, ah, okay, I'm doing that. Maybe it's not a good idea. So it's a really useful and at times a bit of a brutal mirror because there's quite a lot of stuff in here where as they were talking about it, I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> okay, um, so there's quite a lot of stuff in here which feels fairly brutal when you recognize yourself in it. But I think that's why it's useful. So every different waste of time, it's not just like, oh, people who do this are stupid. It's here's how to understand, here's how to recognize if you're doing this and how you need to get out of this. So what you can do instead. So I hope you find it really useful. I really love talking with Ali and Dale. In fact, it's one of the things that we've had the most requests for with the show is to get more of the ninjas on it um, rather than just outside experts because we've got some ridiculous people here at Exposure Ninja. So it's something that you're going to be seeing more of. Anyway, if you want some help with your website and your digital marketing, don't forget you can request a free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. So all you need to do is go to ExposureNinja.com, hit that big fat call to action button that you see on the page, fill in a bit of info about your business and then what will happen is one of the team will record you a 15 minute video which will send over to you by email showing you where to focus on to improve the volume of leads and sales that your website is generating for you. We'll also have a look and see what your competitors are doing, see what little gaps they're leaving so we can exploit them and see what they're doing well that you might be able to copy as well. So it's totally awesome, there's no catch, we're not going to try and close you, no closer's going to phone you and hound you down like when you put in your email innocently on a directory site and then they're calling you forevermore. It's not going to be like that. It's completely cool. You can check it out. If you want to work with us, fantastic. If you don't, that's also cool too. Leave us a review and we're totally happy. Um, so without further ado, enjoy the show with Dale and Ali from Exposure Ninja, the 10 biggest marketing wastes of time. Dale and Ali, welcome to the show. Hi. Maybe um, before we get started, if you each want to introduce yourselves and just give a bit of info about what you do for Exposure Ninja day to day. Dale? Hi, yeah, so I'm Dale. Um, I'm the Digital Strategy Manager at Exposure Ninja. So my day to day is basically uh, to maintain uh, the Exposure Ninja website, make sure that more people know about us. Um, but also to consult on these uh, strategies for the clients that we have uh, within the company. That can range in uh, small campaigns, large campaigns, who knows, Uh, but it's really quite fun to see how some of those strategies pan out. Awesome. And Ali? Hey, I'm Ali. So I head up the digital marketing consultancy team here at Exposure Ninja. Spend a lot of time uh, reviewing Uh, websites for people and helping guide them through to their strategy. So the great thing about having both of you on for this episode is that you get to see a load of different client campaigns at various stages. So I couldn't think of who better to talk about all of the different opportunities to waste marketing time. Not exposure ninja time obviously but waste of time that you see done by people in the outside world so um each example we're going to talk about what it is then we're going to give an example from the real world that we've seen Uh, we're going to give you some hints on how you can spot if you might be falling victim of this particular waste of time and then we're going to give you some suggestions to escape it so ali what is the first biggest marketing waste of time So one we see a lot is spending hours and hours and hours on writing content that has no focus to it, 
no focus on solutions and no keyword backing. That's a very big one. I remember talking to a client in the early days of Exposure Ninja. They were one of our biggest clients at the time and they'd had their entire sales team writing these blogs with absolutely no focus, no game plan whatsoever. They had dozens of these things and the sales team hated doing it. The business owner didn't know why they were all doing it, but someone at some point had said, hey, you should write blogs. So cranking them out. Absolutely ridiculous. How do people know if they're falling victim of this? So I guess one of the main ways to self-identify is if you are just creating blogs because you thought of that idea this morning and decided you wanted to write a blog about it. If it's not based on what people ask you about or what people are searching for, there's a good chance you might be falling into this category. So Dale, you've been in charge of almost all of the Exposure Ninja blogs that get us the most traffic and you've also run a successful blog yourself for many years. How can people escape this trap? Because actually blogging can be a really good thing to do. The message here isn't that you shouldn't be blogging, it's exactly the opposite, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the problem that people fall into is that they think that because they're passionate about something, they can write a tome about it. Uh, they, they think that everybody else is going to feel exactly the same. So, you know, uh, Greg has, has uh, done a fantastic bake sale and, uh, you know, has, has done like a huge amount of content about that. And, you know, the, it was fantastic. We raised loads of money. That's great. But is that necessarily the kind of content that's going to bring people onto your website? I doubt it. I see that again and again with clients. They're often talking about like some newsworthy piece for about the brand, but not necessarily something that people are searching for. And that, as Ali mentioned, is the key fundamental is if is somebody going to search for it? So with my own blog and the marketing, uh, sorry, the, the blog for Exposure Ninja and you know, consulting for our clients as well. The thing we always come back to is what are your customers asking? And if your content, your blogs aren't exactly that, then they're never going to find it. It's never going to bring people to the website. You've, you've otherwise wasted a bit of time and resources creating content that might as well just not exist. Absolutely. So to go full circle on the example given earlier, what we did with the client who'd been pumping out all of these blogs, they're a cruise company. And all we did is we got them to write about the specific cruise lines and the specific cruise destinations and the ports because those all map to questions that people were asking. People were asking, you know, what is there to do at this particular port? So we just got the sales team to focus on that instead and it made a big difference for them. Yeah, speaking to the sales team is fantastic. That's the, the probably one of the first ports of call I would go to is, what are the questions your customers are asking you in the first like 30 seconds, first five minutes of a phone call with you or contacting you via your contact form or email address or your live chat? What are they asking? And if they're asking the same questions again and again, it's pretty obvious that those answers aren't on your website. So I would start by writing blogs or, or, or blogs, uh, sorry, uh, pages about mm. those very questions. Love it. And you can check the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel because we've got some amazing videos which were researched and planned by Dale about how to write awesome blogs. Okay, waste of time number two, Dale. What you got for us? Uh, yeah, so one big one is uh, seeing brands They've read and heard a lot about like social media is the new thing that you've got to be on. And it's been said for like 10, 15 years now for every new network that comes along. But what they're doing is they're pouring a lot of time and energy into posting on social media, but not actually building their audience and reaching more people. They're just pumping out post after post and the same quantity of people are seeing it. They're not increasing their reach. They're not getting new customers. So, yeah, that, that's a bit of a problem. It's quite frequent. Again, mainly because people have been told, yeah, you should do social media. I feel like there's like a social media FOMO. If you're not pumping your social channels full of content, you feel like you're somehow not doing your job properly. Ali, as someone who's worked as a marketing manager client side, did you ever feel a pressure to keep social channels full of stuff even though it wasn't doing anything? Yeah, absolutely. Um 
particularly sorry that was a really when... leading question but <laughs> <laughs> you can say no but it, Totally true. So it depends on the kind of business that you're in as well. If you've got a B2B focus, then it's okay to maintain those those sort of more B2C channels and keep them kind of going. But you might not necessarily want to focus all your time on that. And equally, if you're really heavily B2C, you might not want to focus too much time on LinkedIn if it's not really focused content. I guess this, the thing that we all think is, you know, some stat about like on average people spend one billion minutes a day on Facebook or something and you need to be in front of them at that point. But actually, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you need to be in front of them when they want you and then the rest of the time, like if, you know, if you're a pest control company spending five hours a day making TikToks, might not be the highest ROI use of your time, potentially. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you've got to choose the right network for your audience. Uh, you know, as you said, a pest control company, they may be pumping out videos on uh, TikTok and hoping that that's the strategy that's going to win for them. But they'd probably be better off focusing on a different network like YouTube, which is the world's second biggest search engine. For, for solving people's problems. If you, you know, if I have a pest problem, I'll probably Google it first. Maybe my video comes up. Or if I'm in a do-it-myself um, mindset, I'll go to YouTube first, try and figure out how I can do it for myself and stop my pest problem. And then if your company's video comes up first, that's way better win for you than if you'd have done a TikTok or Instagram video. Or you know, who's on Instagram looking for for pest control uh, information videos? Oh, fascinating. Real weirdos, real weirdos. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, Ali, how does somebody know if they're falling victim of this? If you're not getting any engagement with your social media, that's a pretty good indicator that people just don't care about what you're doing and you need to have a rethink. Brutal truth. And <laughs> how can people get out of this quagmire of no engagement? So having a look at what your competitors can, are doing can be quite interesting. You can use that as intel and don't necessarily let it guide your strategy, but it can kind of help to inform you. Making sure you're using hashtags on the appropriate channels, you're using relevant hashtags to kind of broaden that audience out. And you can even um, collaborate with potentially people here in your space. So if there are influencers in your space or bloggers, that can be a really good way to expand your audience as well. I love it. One of the things that we've been experimenting a lot with is just putting a little bit of paid promotion behind each organic post. It's amazing what that does for your reach. You know, even you might spend an hour making a post or having one of the team design something. And then just to put like £10 or $10 behind it, that reach can be, you know, we've done some tests where we've been able to 10x the the reach that we would normally get in some cases i can think of one post that we've been testing on my personal um, page which we got 30x the reach for six dollars that we would have had organically well the cost was in designing the post six dollars is nothing is it so i think uh there's a potential there isn't there dale to get a bit more reach from the stuff that you're already doing if you think it's actually good quality content that should be getting engagement but isn't yeah it's kind of like, I see paper motion uh, of content you've put out, of the updates you put out. It's kind of like a bit of a kickstart. Mm. You know, if you if you uh, do it the right target, get a maybe the ball rolling by getting a few likes on there, some views if it's a video. And then when that comes into the mainstream or the hashtags that people are checking out later on, you know, within like a, a couple of hours, even sometimes days later, they'll see that... Um, that activity, that engagement on the post and probably be more inclined to pay more attention to it than if they were just scrolling past a, an image that had one like or five likes or, or whatever. So again, sometimes it just gets the ball rolling and it's not, depending on the network you're using or who you're trying to target, it's not that expensive. No, it's really not. But people are so, uh, they seem to have a, an irrational fear of paying to promote because it just feels like, well, I used to get all this organic reach and now I have to pay $5 or whatever, but you know, they've already spent the money doing the thing. They've already spent the time doing it. So yeah, crazy. Yeah. Ali, next biggest marketing waste of time, number three. 
Okay, so this one could go either way. So the, it's kind of ignoring your competitors totally or going totally the other way and just becoming so obsessed with them that you have no time to think about your strategy yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I've got another example of this. Not all of the examples are mine, but I do have another example of this one. Dental client a while back. We were absolutely killing it for them on Google Ads. Really good CPA. Um, generating leads for cosmetic dentistry. So decent return on investment. She was obsessed in every sense of the word with this local competitor that she was just convinced was absolutely smashing it on Facebook. So we had a look and we couldn't, figure out why we couldn't see anything like we could see the ads that they were running and they were hardly running anything and we could see their posts and their page and there was almost no engagement so there was no evidence that they were killing it at all so we went back to the client and said I don't think they are killing it I think that's just you know where did you get this info from and anyway it's a friend of a friend said this and that or whatever in the end she wanted to kill the google ads that are working so well and go and do facebook because there was a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow even though it turned out that there wasn't so yeah, this is a tough one isn't it because we, we we think that our competitors are always doing well but sometimes we forgot to examine where that information came from and many many times they're actually not doing as well as we think they might be dale you spend a lot of time digging into uh digging into competitors how do people know if they're too focused on their competitors? I imagine if you are waking up every day and going and Googling your search terms and looking at what your competitors are doing, open up the, their social media channels, I think you've probably got a slight addiction there. Like I've, I've, I remember having calls, I think maybe even the same client, um, and she was fantastic. I absolutely love working with her, but every call that I had with her pretty much would start with, oh, this is what my competitor is doing. and. It's great to keep an eye on your competitors, but you really got to be focused on what makes you unique. It's your unique selling point. It's your value prop propositions, all those things that make your customers choose you over your competitors. You've got to focus on yourself. Otherwise, if you try and um, match up what your own business with what your competitors are doing, very soon there will be no difference between the two of you. And your customers are going to be like, well, I don't know, I'll go with that either or whoever they've known first. So just focus on what makes you special, your business unique, um, and and yeah, talk to your audience on on those um, yeah, on those things. Talk about what what makes you special and what you can offer them that the competitor can't. Like, is your customer service like ten times better than theirs? Then focus on that. That's your you know access point. That's such a good point. It's almost like when you try to copy a competitor it's like taking a photocopy isn't it it's never going to be you're never going to outdo them at the stuff that they are like you're never going to out them them if that makes sense you're much better off building something which is much more attractive and compelling and plays to your strengths rather than you know just trying to be a photocopy you never photocopy is always inferior to the original copy isn't it yeah, I remember one uh, client who I think had some success with this. Um, they noticed that uh, a competitor of theirs was not doing great with customer service. So they started to promote their own customer service and expertise in the things that they were selling. And it worked out quite well for them. They, you know, That became a, um, a focus of what made their business much better than, than others, that they had the expertise from a decade plus of working with this particular product that they're selling compared to everyone else who was just selling it because it was an easy thing to sell it. So. Mm. Ali, how frequently do you think people should be checking out their competitors? What's healthy? It's uh, a really good question. I think ensuring that whenever you're reviewing your strategy, you're at least having a check-in on what competitors are doing, whether that's quarterly or monthly but really focusing in on what their weaknesses are and what they're doing badly, mm -hmm. as well as the stuff that you might want to take and try and do better. So it's kind of finding that balance between checking in on them, but yeah, not every morning. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that we do in the marketing review, isn't it? Have a look and see if we can spot any holes and then we'll in what the competitors are doing and then you know go all in on those areas. Um, by the way, just as it happens to be a natural point in the conversation, you can get that free website marketing review at exposioninja.com forward slash review. And it's freaking awesome. 
Ali and her team are in charge of them and that's why they're so good. Okay, marketing waste of time number four. What you got for us, Dale? Um, it's, it's not testing a proof of concept uh, beforehand. It's uh, spending a lot of money building out businesses, websites, well, starting with a, a website, then an entire business. I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do this all the time. Um, and then realizing that, yeah, you don't have an audience and you don't even know how to communicate with them. Yeah. This is so uncomfortable for me to read because I've literally done this twice this week already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's the uh, the addiction to the new thing, isn't it? You go and jump on something new because the new stuff is always exciting and it's easy to convince yourself that, you know, the, I remember when we uh, when GDPR was coming around and we noticed that a lot of our clients were just totally unprepared, we decided to build this GDPR training site and we spent all this time and this money building it and then I don't really remember what happened, but... I don't think we even launched it in the end because we decided that it was a complete waste of time and that GDPR wasn't really sexy enough for anybody to actually want to invest. And imagine going through hours of training on GDPR, like, oh my gosh, what were we thinking? Seemed like a good idea at the time though. Um, so how do people know if it's them, Ali? How do you know when it's me? <laughs> <laughs> Um, if it's always kind of going on to the next idea without having finished the, the last one or without kind of delegating the last one at least so that someone's going to look after that baby while you go start the next thing. Brutal and true. <laughs> and I know the roadmap for this because it's the reason why I've done this twice this week but neither of them have got off the ground. It's to have someone to bounce off who is fundamentally a much more cautious and logical person than the ideas fountain. And for us, that's Charlie. She's given me this sheet called the CBA, which is cost benefit analysis. We say CBA is cost benefit analysis or can't be asked because if you can't be asked to fill in the sheet, then the idea gets blocked <laughs> at that level. So it's fantastic because it makes you think through everything and just stop and pause before you go off and chase another rabbit down a hole. Dale, anything to add as the uh, as a spectator of this kind of activity on a regular basis? Um, yeah, I would love to see um, if you do have a, an idea for a business. Um, I think a great thing for people to do is just to test it as just a landing page first. Don't start building a business out around a, a concept that you have. Just you know, put together a landing page. Uh, you can do it through a number of different tools online, or you can come to us. We have a great service for building our landing page. Um, and then just kind of throwing uh, ads at it. You can use Google ads or Facebook ads, Microsoft ads, whichever kind of ads work best for the audience that you're trying to reach. But just test to see if anybody's interested. If nobody's clicking through to just even leave their email address saying, oh, notify me when this product is ready, then you're probably not going to be able to sell it once you actually build it and put it together. So yeah, test, 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 test. Always just test your business ideas. Like you said, you test your ideas with Charlie, uh, our fantastic general manager. Um, and just see how their response is. If it's favorable, wicked, we've got a new project to build out. And yeah, that, that's great. It's a very good point. And the great thing about testing it with a, a live audience is that you'll also get feedback about the things that aren't right in the pitch yet. So you can actually shape your product around what mm. they need rather than just what you think they might want. So Ali, what is marketing waste of time number five? So massive one is e-commerce stores spending loads of time and energy on building traffic with things like blogs and actually their product pages are not converting, they look rubbish, no one knows what they sell and they're just never going to make any money out of it. Do you have an example? I know you've worked at an e-commerce store, this wasn't the case there presumably. No, it wasn't. We actually had a, an explosion and just site built for us. So we did have good looking product pages. So we were we were absolutely fine there. And um, so it wasn't a problem for us at all. I mean, this is great, isn't it? Because they're focusing in, I guess it's a little bit like what we were talking about, focusing on social media whilst the core, like the core stuff that generates actual business, which might be like ads or search or something like that, isn't being taken care of. So it's a variation, Dale, isn't it, of focusing on the thing that isn't the most critical to, to the financial result that the business is looking for. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. If, if you're dedicating time and resources to the thing that doesn't necessarily lead to a conversion, then you, you're wasting your time. Very eloquently put. So how does somebody know if they're falling victim to this? Um, I think the, the best way to really know if uh, you are falling victim to producing the wrong kind of things or uh, you know, not putting your focuses focus on the right areas to just monitor everything and track everything. So uh, with an e-com in particular, I would be, you know, analytics on everything. I'd be using uh, user testing software like Hotjar, things like that. Um, Hotjar is a great tool. Uh, we use that internally, recommend that. Um, it basically, Hotjar in particular, it records user sessions so you can see uh, where people are scrolling to on a page, how they're uh, interacting with the page. And then you can learn, okay, people aren't really interacting so much on my blog posts, but they are clicking on the links uh, to go to category pages or or from category pages going to guides. And that's all building into my my um, my customers sales journey, their user journey through the website. And the only way to know that, again, is analytics and, and uh, user testing software like Hotjar. So then you'll know if it's worth investing more time in your blog posts or more time in your product pages or category pages because the data is there for you. So you really have to be tracking that stuff and not just tracking it. You've got to go back periodically, check, is that still the case? Is that still the case? Is that still the case? Uh, and make changes accordingly. So how does someone get out of this though? What's the, what's the solution? What's the roadmap? Um, so I would first focus on maybe your top 10 or top 100 best-selling products, depending on the size of your e-com, and then think about, okay, what is missing from my product pages? If I was the customer and I came onto this page, what would I want to find? Depending on what the product is, you may need very little information or a lot of information. If you're selling a cheaper item, not so much information, I presume, but on a high high ticket item, you're going to need a lot of information. Um, like one thing I, I like to think of is if you bought yourself in the customer's clothes, uh, I was going to go and buy that product. I basically want to see myself with that product. I want to see the shoes on my feet. I want to see the hammer in my hand or whatever it is. I want to see the car. I want to see myself driving around some windy lanes in that car in my new Tesla or whatever. Is that what's on your product page? Then if not, then get it on there. And again, if you are not sure if making those changes are right for your business, then you can test it. You can create a duplicate of some of your uh, top selling uh, best-selling products or high-traffic products. Take let's say they take the top ten, split those out. Five you keep the same, five you change, and see which uh, how those products um, continue to sell afterwards. Do the new pages uh, increase their sales of those products, or do those uh, product sales decrease? Just keep testing it. You've got Hotjar analytics. See what's working. Um, another thing, like for, for product pages, is again. What would you want to see if you're a, a potential customer? Do you want to see uh, more pictures or just bigger pictures? So you can see more fine details of the things that you're going to buy. Or do you need to see a video? Like, I remember there was um, a backpack company a couple of years ago when I was traveling that they were trying to um, uh, increase their sales. And one thing they focused on was putting on videos on their product pages, detailing the everything about the bag, like how much stuff you could get in it, the um, how safe and secure they were, how waterproof they are, basically showing you everything you may not have even considered as a buying customer. Um, I bought a bag just last year and they were showing me all kinds of stuff. And I was like, I, that's what, I'm never going to use that, but that's so cool. <laughs> I love it. I, I'm, just glad, I'm glad to know that. Yeah. Um, so things like that, just it, it can be really, you can make your product pages incredibly deep. Um, but again, don't do it maybe for every page, but you can. Um, think of it like Amazon who added, like we're talking a long time ago, but they uh, were selling mostly books through the site. They added like the look inside function, which is fantastic. Even for a lot of other products, they have that too now. But the look inside thing allowed people to kind of flick through and see what the book was about. And like I'm buying books for my daughter at the moment and flicking through all the picture books. And it's great because like before ma making a purchase, I can see what the book is like. Mm. So I've got lots of options to buy that book, sometimes cheaper elsewhere. But Amazon always has that look inside function. So I know that when I do buy it, I'm going to go there, look through it, and I'll probably buy it because it's right there in front of me. Um, yeah, I, I really, really like that function. And another one um, I'm starting to see in e-commerce stores as well for, um, for fashion wear. 
leisure wear as well. Like ASOS and another company called uh, Fabletics, which is a US company. Um, they're starting to have like um, a diverse set of models for uh, the products they sell. So you go in there and you choose the size that suits you and then the model will change so you can get a better perspective of how I'm going to look wearing those clothes. So um, if you, you, know, you add a, a small, you see a smaller model, you add an extra, extra large, you're going to see exactly how you're going to look in those clothes instead of them arriving, you trying them on and going, what the hell? I just wasted 30 quid on a pair of jeggings that don't work. Mm. So, so yeah, fantastic additions to product pages like that can really do big things for improving that sales journey for your customer, making them think, you know, get that kind of fear of missing out. Like, oh, now I know what I'm going to look like. I really, really want that. It's a really, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is fairly simple things, isn't it? Like seeing what a model would look like that has a similar body to you in the clothes that you'd wear. This is kind of moving towards replicating an in-store experience where an educated sales assistant would tell us about the hidden features of a product so that we're, you know, amazed and, and we're educated enough to know why a particular thing is worth more and why we shouldn't go somewhere else because this thing's better. But it feels like until fairly recently, and even for most sites now, online selling has been you know it's like people think it's easy like, oh you just stick it up on a page and a couple lines of text just looking at a, a brand new client that we've brought on today they're selling something on their site which is quite difficult to understand one picture a couple lines of text buy button and the assumption is oh yeah we just stick it's just e-commerce like it's just easy people are going to buy it but you'd never just do that in the store, would you? If you went and asked a sales assistant to tell you about this product and they just read out two sentences, you wouldn't be impressed, you'd, you'd leave. Yeah, think of all those experience, shopping experiences you probably had in the last year or even just last six months over Christmas. You, you know, people buy a lot of stuff at that period of time. You've probably been into shops and have fantastic sales experiences and they're right at the forefront of your mind. Mm. But all the other stuff where you really didn't have a great time, that's you know, 80% of e-commerce stores, I would say. They're yeah. mostly like that, easily forgettable. They're not really selling to you. It's almost like their product pages, their sales in store and afterthought. They're thinking about something else. They're just thinking about how many units can I get in and get out within a period. They're not thinking actually what the people want to see. I think it feels like e-commerce is not advanced yet as a whole. We've seen people like Ezra Firestone testing these um almost like sub-sites for each of the different products where each product will have multiple pages and they'll be telling the story of it and they'll be having reviews specific to that product and they'll be you know, showing examples and teaching you how to use it and stuff like that and putting in loads more attention per product. So a store selling a smaller range of products but giving each product way more attention. Ali, as someone who I know in your previous business before we uh before we stole you um you were selling something that was quite it was I, I guess quite difficult to understand wasn't it it was quite you know either fairly big things or it was like retail it was like merchandising equipment wasn't it yeah how did you or how did where do you what would you have liked to be able to do on those pages to make it easier for people to buy so I guess it kind of comes back a bit to what you guys are saying about the in-store experience. If someone shows you something in a shop, you're shopping with someone, maybe you're clothes shopping, they'll show you something, they'll say, hey, what do you think of this? And the first thing you want to do is you want to go and touch it and then you want to go and hold it up against you and see how it's going to look. Mm. And that's the same kind of experience we need to be able to deliver online to make people feel the same, feel as if they've touched it, they've tried it on. So even with something that's maybe... Uh, little bit less interesting like a coat hanger they still want to know what that looks and feels like so you want to use video you want to have people talking about it you want reviews you want photos from different angles and descriptions that are super in-depth for those that want it but also with some bullet points for those that just want to skim through great example 
There was one word you used previously, Tim, uh, and the last thing you were saying was about the story related to e-commerce. And that's pretty much it. Like you need to create a story around your products or around your brand that makes people want to be invested in them. This kind of takes them halfway there to being invested in buying the product itself. I think with e-commerce, that story kind of has to start a bit earlier, depending on the products. It has to be at like the social level. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of a recent client that's selling um they're selling makeup and they've got some good products um but the story for them should be starting earlier on with the social side it should be okay here's how other people are talking about our products uh here's how they're using them as well that story should then continue through to the product page where you see even more detail on how to use these products what they look like when you finish using them um so yeah story is massive and i expect that story is going to become as you said a huge and bigger part of e-commerce going forward and and a lot of e-commerce is going to be focused on how do i make this personalization making things more i don't know what's the word connect you know your customer connects with your product a lot easier through the product pages than than they've been doing until now yeah it's really interesting because actually online we have a greater opportunity to build that story on a product level don't we because we could you know you could technically have a separate website and a full-fledged infomercial on a product page whereas in the store if you've got like a thousand products you you can't have anywhere near that if you walk into boots on the high street everything is just in a rack and everything has like two centimeters of space whereas on a website it shouldn't be less immersive. It should be way more immersive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, number six, Ali, what's the number six biggest waste of marketing time? Um, getting obsessed and only tracking vanity metrics. So metrics that are kind of giving you some information about the world, but not the ones that are actually going to report on people buying from you or, or inquiring very very important particularly with people that are new to digital marketing i think they can latch on to a particular metric um have you got any examples of this in the wild ali um yeah so i think it's really easy in fact it's a trap i definitely fell into myself early on in my marketing career where you're thinking about how many followers you have um or maybe super focused on something like domain authority and yeah, these are indicators and they're useful kind of vital health signs, but it's not the same as someone handing over their money. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Dale, how does someone know if they're in domain, if they've caught domain authority itis? Uh, if you start talking about domain authority anything, I think <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to Moz, they've got like some fantastic stuff there, um, but they're like a third party tool. Yeah. And you, know, you shouldn't be trusting anybody else's tool, really. Um, you should always be checking that stuff for yourself. So yeah, uh, things like domain authority, I, I get why people love them because it makes it very quick to, to assess something. And the same for many other vanity metrics as well. I can very quickly get an idea of how things are going for my business by checking things like that. But is so far from what should be most important, which is how much traffic is it you're getting on your website, how many of them are converting, and what's the revenue you're generating. Those are the kind of things you want to focus on, not, oh, I had a new backlink and it was only DA17, and or I only got 24 backlinks in the last three months. Like, it doesn't matter. What's really important is the quality of some of those things, like the quality of the link, uh, the quality of the number of links that you have, that, that's more important. But again, your main KPIs or metrics you should be monitoring are the, the, the tail end of things are traffic, mm-hmm. revenue, conversions, those kinds of things. So if you feel yourself talking about domain authority or whatever it is AHRS has or any of those scores, yeah. Stop. Check yourself into Trust Factor Rehab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like uh, Majestic is like my preferred tool over Moz, um, and I love it. I think it's probably a, a superior tool, but to a point, like I know it's better for me to do a visual check of the websites that it's referencing. Like, okay, trust flow of 25 for that website. Great. You go and look at it, and it's quite obviously just a spam fest full of 
you know, just really nasty articles that clearly nobody is reading this website. I yeah. highly doubt it. So, yeah, don't don't trust metrics. Trust yourself, and then monitor the metrics that matter. There's something for me which um, is closely related to this: the illusion of the exact number, right? So you go into Semrush or whatever, and it says this particular competitor site is getting. 355,487 visits a month and you see that exact number and you're like, ah, that's exact, must be real. And a lot of these sites, uh, the metrics are, you know, they're, they're crude at best, but like in the example you just gave, just because the trust, I was with a, a guy yesterday and he was showing me all the links that the, his SEO guy had just bought him and trust factor was like 45 on one of them. He's like, this is a great link. We clicked on it as a website for people in Florida and he's in the UK. So it's, it's completely rubbish. But because the trust factor was an exact number and it feels scientific, he was like, well, you know, here I am. I'm an SEO now. So, you know, this, this is where the data is. This is where the, the real knowledge is. I wouldn't trust my instinct because here's an exact number that appears to represent something much more scientific than I could come up with. Mm. It's killer. Yeah, like I love SEM Rush, and uh, I think it's probably my favorite tool to use, um, for especially for competitor analysis. But some of the numbers are just guesstimates. They're mm -hmm. based on your ranking in this position, and we've multiplied that position by the average search volume for that keyword term. Which is a guesstimate period. in itself, right? Again, so <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. They may be getting that data from somewhere, but it's probably loosely tied to just guesstimates. And yeah, that's great indicator of maybe what somebody's getting, but do your research, check it personally, and don't get too obsessed about what that competitor is doing either, as we were talking about before. Yeah. Focus on, okay, maybe I'll focus on my own traffic and what I can do for myself. Absolutely. All right. Dale, what's the number seven biggest marketing waste of time? Um, I think it's got to be uh, the refusal to listen to experts. Um, you know, paying consultants or an agency, uh, you know, and then after a few weeks or months going, yeah, how do you know, I'm just going to do it my own way and, and, and not working out. You've got to trust in the people that you're employing, whether that's internally or externally. Listen to the people who are doing this all the time and just take a chance. Maybe, maybe they know what they're doing. It's true. It's difficult to say this, isn't it, as experts without coming across as slightly uh just freaking listen to us but sometimes yeah. <laughs> as you know when we know that a client is paying us a good amount of money that means a lot to them and then we say hey you need to do this stuff and then they don't do it and then they're like hey things aren't working and you're like so it, it can be frustrating can't it ali you always listened when you were a client though so that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was very well behaved um but yeah, it can be incredibly frustrating, particularly when it can sometimes seem something that kind of seems like an absolute no-brainer. There is there is no reason why you wouldn't do this thing because it is going to change things for you. And then because there's maybe some misinformation or, or perhaps some preconception about it, it's avoided. If, mm -hmm. if you want the same results, keep doing the same thing over and over again and you'll keep getting the same results. If you want something new, you want to grow, you've got to try stuff. It's very true. So Dale, how do people get out of this? Because it's all very well us saying just, just trust us or whoever, just yeah. trust the expert. But how do people actually get out of their way? Are there any final thoughts that you give them in order to flick their heads and make them just do it? <sighs> I don't know. I think um, it, it's it's difficult. You've, you've probably got like stakeholders and people who you're having to prove that your marketing is working to uh, for. Uh, so you know, you're getting recommendations from an agency or a consultant that's saying you should do this. You then got to take that to get approval from somewhere else. It's not always easy. Um, but if if you can get proof of, of those things working in the past, so if, if an agency like ourselves, we, we where we can, we provide case studies or you know, examples of websites we can send clients to and say, hey, I know you're not 100% sure about this, but we've tried it ourselves, we've proven it works, go have a look at the data yourself and, and you know, 
you maybe take a chance. Even if it doesn't work out for you in your business or your website, at least you'll know for next time that's not something that is going to work for your business. And there's only really one way to, to find out. So just take a chance, find the proof if you can beforehand. Otherwise, you are, yeah, you are going to be throwing away your money, paying for, for things you're not getting everything out of that you really deserve to. Like you said, nothing pains me more than seeing clients um, uh, pay for services and then it not work out for that for that company. Not because we, you know, we've not delivered, but because they've just not been implemented on the side where we can't touch. You know, like dev changes or content changes or things like that. Um, I was actually looking at a couple of websites just the other day that were previous clients to ours, so we gave a load of recommendations to, and looking. Again, using tools just to guesstimates, it doesn't look like it's worked out for them. And it's such a shame because I'm sure all three of us and all of us, we get such a thrill off seeing successes. And we're fortunate we have a lot of them, but it really pains me to see businesses which should be killing it, not mm. killing it. Yeah. Yeah. The untapped potential is the worst feeling, particularly Absolutely. when you can see what they need to do next. Oh, it's, so, it's like those footballers isn't it or pop stars or whatever who go off the rails and get into coke and stuff like that and you're like oh you could have been so great <laughs> okay waste of time number eight ali um just getting too into your own bullshit so saying stuff on your website that doesn't actually mean anything um i've got an example of this myself actually so i had a, a cold email from someone who wants to meet me for a coffee at the b2b expo that we're going to I don't understand what they do. They sent a second follow-up email. I still don't understand what they do because the language that they're using is just um, full of corporate terms that I can only assume must be part of their industry and not mine. I have no idea what they're talking about. That's classic. Dale, you posted an amazing example in the Water Cooler channel as well of this. <laughs> yeah, um, so looking at a lot of websites as I do in, in our, I'm sure you do the same um, I get a lot of adverts for businesses which have no relation to my personal buying habits and one came up I don't even know how um, and yeah I took a screenshot and shared that internally in our Slack community I was trying to I basically I, I um, muted out or like blurred out some of the words and I wanted to know what is it that this this ad is trying to sell and it was a photo of uh, John Boyega from uh, no more for the Star Wars films. And it was like a lake in the background or something. And uh, the, the words with it were, it said, uh, smarter, deeper, more flexible. And I was like, okay, what is it that they're trying to sell? And I pitched this to the uh, ninjas internally and they were like, I don't know, he's selling lake retreats or something. I have absolutely no idea. So it turns out it, they were selling, it's Cisco and they're selling some complex software, wireless internet thing. I don't know what, but definitely not lakes which is the main you know <laughs> part of this image it didn't make any sense it's like ali said if you're talking a language that your customers maybe don't understand or realize they should be speaking then they're not going to twig that that's what you're trying to sell mm. especially if it's you know a celebrity face okay sometimes it may work but other times yeah they don't connect I think so, the other thing is you're kind of assuming that they want to put time and effort into understanding what you have to say. What they actually want is for you to just tell them really straight and they will tell you whether or not they're interested. If you're just rambling on with, you know, random corporate words in there, they can't be bothered to deal with that. There's too much other stuff they need to go do. That's yeah. very true. They're not even getting to the point where they can make a decision about you because they're not even qualified because they don't even know what you're doing. We always put that, we always find every time we do the B2B show and we do the seminar and we put that whatever website is going to be the object of the laughter, we put it up on the screen and ask the audience to work out what that company sells and, you know, no one can ever do it. It's probably cost, you know, £20,000 to design that homepage. They probably spent three months thinking about the slogan to use and five years choosing the picture and you know 
room full of people can't figure out what the business does. So that's, does... Um, that's actually a, a favorite trick of um, uh, somebody I've seen speak before, uh, Ali Gardner from Unbounce. Basically, before he does a presentation uh, for a conference, he'll do a tweet saying, oh, send me your uh, websites and I'll review them from a conversion point of view. So this was a couple of years ago, but he, um, he basically, in the middle of his presentation, brought up the image of the websites that he was going to review. He removed the text and basically asked people in the room, what is this business trying to sell? And nobody could understand like any of them. There was like an old man and they didn't understand what the the, the, the product was. And it was like, uh, I can't remember. It was just, it just made no sense. Everybody was guessing oh, I must be like a Viagra or something else. And it was actually insurance or something like completely just didn't make any sense. So that's one thing I love to do is just removing the text and stuff and just having people guess what a website's supposed to be selling. Um, another thing that kind of builds on from what Ali was saying is there's this thing called the curse of knowledge, which I'm kind of addicted to. I love discussing it with people. I always bring it up where I can. Um, there's a book called Made to Stick by uh, Dan and Chip Heath, um, which basically talks about how to, to communicate with the people you're trying to reach in a language that they understand. And you can't presume that they know what it is that you're going to say or you're saying. Um, you have to make it much simpler and uh, pretty much you want to write it even if you're trying to reach a target audience maybe try and write it that any audience will be able to understand the message that you're trying to say mm -hmm. so i could i could open up a website and my mom could understand it you know do those kinds of tests and speak in those kinds of terms that language so i'm trying to obfuscate and make it difficult for people otherwise they're not going to buy from you why would they yeah it's a very good point what is marketing waste of time number nine, Dale? Uh, so this is something that I don't come across that often, um, but when it does, it's massive, massively frustrating. It's it's when you want to chop and change and make adjustments to a strategy before actually seeing it play out. Like, oh, it's only been a month or it's only been you know eight weeks or it's just not been long enough to see the whole thing plan out. You've got the research stage actually creating the, 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 the differences, either the changes to content or new content or you know uh, new ads for your business. And after like eight weeks, 12 weeks, you're like, oh, this is not working for me. Mm. But it, it, it takes a little longer than that to actually see if something is going to work. So you just give it time. That's the one thing I'd like to ask. I feel like... Um... There are some channels which are more susceptible to this than others. So everybody knows pretty much that SEO takes time, like that's common knowledge. But something like pay-per-click, where we've been able to, I was showing people a case study yesterday, £676 per lead in month one. By month 10, it was down to £18.99 per lead. So huge, huge drop. But that took 10 months. Like in six months, they were still... Uh, you know, they'd only dropped by half and it was only after, you know, after 10 months that they were able to come down to whatever that is, like a 30th of the cost. So it feels like there are some channels which are maybe known for quick wins, like pay-per-click, where people, like the patient's threshold is like five seconds. The ads are on, end of the day, right? This isn't working. Let's try Facebook instead. It's just, ah! Ali, what have you seen? How does someone know if this is them? So... This can be so, so, so dangerous because if you're spending a couple of weeks trying one thing, a couple of weeks trying the next thing, a month trying the next thing, it's going to take you so much longer to actually get results from anything at all if you manage to get results at all. It's, it's you if you are picking up one strategy and dropping it straight away. It's you if you're setting a three-month strategy and then a month later doing something different. You've got to set your short, medium, and long-term goals. Otherwise, you're just you're just not going to get there. I, it's, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, okay. So I know that I am definitely also guilty of this. It's probably relating to this ideas thing. It's probably the idea mindset that causes this, right? Because you're like, oh, I thought that was going to be amazing. It's not instantly amazing. Let's just try something else. Let's just keep trying stuff until it works. I guess that is the mindset of. Um, of the early stages of business, isn't it? You Because you do have to just throw out mm -hmm. loads of things and see what sticks and then go after that. But it gets to a point where with something like pay-per-click, unless you're selling, you know, free money to people, then it's 
there's always going to be a testing and iteration process to find something that works because you're going into a mature market and you're trying to take business from other people essentially so it's not going to be as you know you're not going to strike gold with every hammer stroke if you like yeah I mean, it's great to test if you're a more mature business and you've been you know, going for a couple of years your marketing is maybe stagnating you can test a couple of other channels and see if they work for you whilst maintaining your core channel so if, if uh, search is working for you well and you want to try something new then you know you can try uh, email marketing if you haven't done it for your business before or you can try new networks um, or just focus on just referral traffic so from from other publishers in your space or even you know creating partnerships with other businesses that can be a really great thing to test on for short periods to see if that works but don't let it neglect your main uh, income stream or traffic stream or whatever you know you're more you're much safer position to do this kinds of tests then couldn't agree more ali you have the honor of revealing the 10th and final biggest marketing waste of time these are in no particular <laughs> order by the way so don't quit now just because you think it's in last position it might be the most important one <laughs> so i think this one's actually related to some of the other things we've spoken about in terms of like the ideas fountain or or changing strategy too regularly um it can become kind of addictive to find all the information that's out there, listen to a new podcast, listen to um, something on the radio, go check something out on YouTube, whatever, but never actually do anything with that information. So you feel kind of super empowered and like, you know, you're growing and, and things are going to change. But unless you actually implement any of that stuff, nothing's going to happen. Knowledge isn't power. <laughs> <laughs> It's the biggest lie in the whole world. It's so true. It's so true. It's um, we get people who've been like, yeah, I've had your book for five years. You're like, okay. And I've just looked at your website and it doesn't look like you've had the book for five years. <laughs> Dale, how does someone know if this is them? Uh, if you spend the majority of your time like going to areas where that knowledge is available, like you know conferences or always on the same blogs every day or online communities and following certain people on social, you know follow, following I don't know Gary Vaynerchuk and like yeah he's totally got all the right ideas and uh, yeah I should be doing this with my business or social I should be on TikTok yeah that's great but you're not doing anything you know if if you are on every social network or on every blog and reading everything, it's probably you because you're probably not dedicating that same time to actually doing any of it. If you've got the time to be reading all that stuff, how on earth have you got the time for everything else as well? That's so true. When you're watching a Gary Vee video, you're watching him work. You're not <laughs> doing any work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because there is a fine line. You obviously need to learn enough to implement. And I think all of us would be happy with the investment that we've made in our own knowledge. So there is, there is, you do have to acquire knowledge. But what we're saying is that unless you actually do anything with that, then you're just, you're just basically a book. You're like a DVD ROM back in the olden days, full of knowledge, but completely useless because you're just stuck in a little bit of plastic on a shelf. Yeah, you have to kind of do what CBAs you were talking about earlier, like a cost-benefit analysis, and just decide, right, I have a list of all these things I've learned from reading and following various people online. I need to put them in a list and say, okay, which of these are actually going to benefit my business from investing in them, mm. and how many of them can I just scrap? Like, I know, Tim, you and I, we've spoken about like the Pareto uh, principle of like 80-20, 20% of your effort delivers like 80% of your results. Like, okay, if you've got a list of like, eight, 10 things that you've picked up from blogs and books and, and whatever, write them down and decide, okay, which ones are going to have the best ROI from, from not just me personally, but if you're a business owner or a marketing manager, which ones are going to you know, improve my the, the, the metric I care most about, which is traffic or leads or revenue. Decide mm -hmm. which of those make the biggest impact and come back to the others when you've completed those first things. Oh, such good advice, such good advice. Ali, to wrap up, what should people do if they're stuck in this quagmire of indecision? So I think a major thing is to decide to take action. You need to decide when you're going to do this and how soon. If it's one of those things that it's like, yeah, one day I am going to build my SEO, 
it will never happen. Put a deadline on it, get it moving. Um, and of course, just because it's our moment to shine, if this is something that you want help with, then of course you can register for a free website review and we can get you started on starting today. Yeah. One of the things I learned from you, Ali, is that sheet that you made with the quarterly, um, the actions that you were going to do each quarter, yeah. that was amazing because you're you basically taken your whole to do list, but you've put it in quarters, haven't you? So you're saying I'm going to like in my head, I just see a big, long to do list and there's no dates or anything. And you're just like, right, I'm just going to smash it as much of this as I can, whereas you're like, no, put this in quarters. And then you just focus on these things each quarter and you don't get distracted by the stupid, dumb shit. <laughs> I think I need to see this for myself. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I feel like this podcast has actually been one of the most useful experiences of my life personally. So thank you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly uncomfortable in places, but overall very good, which is a, a great kind of tagline for the show in general, I guess. <laughs> so thank you both. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope you found this video useful. And remember, if you enjoyed it, click the little like button. If you want to check out more videos from Exposure Ninja, then don't forget to hit the subscribe button and that little bell icon, or leave us a comment if you've got any questions or suggestions of things that you'd like to see us cover in future. Don't forget, if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and request a free website and digital marketing review. What will happen here is we'll ask you a few questions about your website and your goals. And one of our team will then put together a 15 minute video where we'll show you how to improve your website's ranking, your traffic and your conversions. It's completely free of charge. I know, crazy, right? But danger, there is a chance that you'll become a client after seeing this review because it'll blow your socks off. I have to be honest, but don't let that put you off. Go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and I look forward to seeing you in the next video.